Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Put a Ring on It podcast. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Dan. How are you today? Dan, I'm over the moon. Why are you over the moon, Danielle? Well, I guess this is kind of fakey, but on the day that this podcast is coming out, it's my birthday. Woo! It's not today, though, that we're recording. So it's not today, but it is today. Okay, that's actually kind of cool. This is like a weird meta trippy thing. Well, I like to celebrate my birthday for a very long time. So really, this is quite par for the course for me. (laughs) But it's not even birthday month yet. Yeah, this is a very meta weird thing that like we're recording this today, but it's coming out today when we say today and it's your birthday today. Yeah, but we've experienced life in the period between now and today. God, yes, we have. So that's interesting. Yeah. So this is one of our favorite episodes to record because the Q&A episodes always get a whole lot of play. <laughs> they do. I think it's they're just really fun to dive into because we know that we're directly answering questions that y'all have submitted to us. And we're very thankful for that because it helps us know what it is that you need us to talk about. Yeah. Should we dive right in? I think we shall. Let's do it. Planning a wedding is hard work. Am I right? But you are not alone. Welcome to the Put a Ring on a Podcast. I'm Danielle Pasternak, wedding planner of DP Knack Events. I'm Dan Moyer, wedding photographer of Daniel Moyer Photography. Together, we are two wedding pros with a fork ton of experience sharing our best tips and tricks. And downright sensible advice for a wedding that feels good to you. Plain and simple, we got your back. Hey, Dan, are you ready? Let's do this. All right, Dan, are you ready to record the last episode of season nine? Yes. (laughs) Yo, so every, I don't think it's every, every season, but almost every season at the end, we have recorded this Q&A episode. And in recent years, since you and I have discovered Instagram, (laughs) (laughs) certainly ages us. But in recent years, we've been able to pull it from actual questions that we've gotten from our listeners right on the gram. And I'm really excited to record this episode today. Yeah, these episodes always seem like they're super popular, right? Because I think it's very tangible feedback. It seems like a lot of people who ask questions, other people tend to have the same questions as well. So that's why we love doing this Q&A episode, because we know we're speaking directly to somebody and their need. Yeah, exactly. So these questions in today's episode are coming directly from our hashtag Wedding Tip Wednesday series, where we were putting up our question box on Monday and sharing that answer on Wednesday. And it was really fun to do. Yeah. But before we really dive into this episode, one of the things that we always do is at the end of the season, we say it's the final episode. This past two years with COVID and all that stuff have really done a lot to the wedding world. And Danielle and I both feel that we need to shift gears a little bit and spend a lot of time really focusing on our couples and giving them some love. So we're not sure yet what the future holds for the Put Ariana podcast, but we really want to thank you for your support. Please follow along on the Instagram. We're not sure when we're coming back at this time, but if you follow along, uh, we'll definitely be able to announce anything there. Okay. Yes. Dan and I know that when we committed to doing this podcast, we really always wanted to help you all through this journey. And like Dan said, over the past two years, so much has happened that we know that this time away is always our time to focus on our clients and make sure that we're keeping that ball juggling in the air. And this is just a harder time than ever before. So we are always really thankful to put out these episodes, but we're also looking forward to a little bit of a break. Yeah, a little bit of a break and to just focus on our clients because they need some loving. 
Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of people that need some loving, shall we dive in on these questions? Yep, go for it. Okay, so this first question comes from Rebecca, who asked, do you have to send save the date cards? If not, should you send your invites earlier? Dan, did you send save the dates for your wedding? Yeah, we did. I don't know if you know it. I still have your invitation up on my wall of invitations. It really was beautiful. But yeah, to answer this question, save the dates are not necessary. Save the dates started in the mid 2000s. They kind of came about as technology became more prevalent and that people's lives just started getting, I think, a little scheduled out more in advance than usual. What Save the Dates do is that they're a good way right now to share your wedding website so guests can book hotels, make sure the date on their calendar, make travel arrangements. They can be like, okay, that weekend, we know what we're doing. We're going to go and celebrate with them. That said, previous to these mid-2000 years, weddings have been happening for a very long time without Save the Dates. So while they're not necessary, they've shifted into the purpose of being able to provide a little bit more information up front. But... If you don't send out your save the dates, I would say it's still okay to send your invitations around that eight to 10 week out mark. You can do earlier, but here's what's up. If you do it too early, it's the higher likelihood of getting last minute changes. So watch how early you do it. Overall, I'm a big proponent of doing save the dates. I think it's a great way to communicate your guests. I think it's a good way to set the tone, but I would not say that they are mandatory in any sense of the word. Yeah, and they give like a little heads up before like the big deal. I think they're a good thing, but like you said, not necessary. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with doing like a digital save the date either. Yeah. Depending on the type of event you're having, I should clarify, but overall. (laughs) Okay. So the next one comes from Emma and I'm actually going to let you take this one because I'm curious about what the purpose of a cocktail hour is. But Emma asks, can I not have a cocktail hour? So- you can do whatever you want for your wedding, right? Like that's ultimately what it comes down to. Don't break any laws. Don't hurt any animals. But otherwise you could do whatever you want. <laughs> don't break any laws. Don't hurt any animals. Got it. The purpose of a cocktail hour is often to either if your wedding is taking place all at the same space where you have your ceremony and your cocktail hour and your reception. In that case, your cocktail hour is meant to kind of ease into the night and go along with that ebb and flow, the highs and lows. You just had a wonderful high of the ceremony, and now you want to calm it down a little, give people some drinks, some tasty little finger foods and appetizers and hors d'oeuvres, and then you bring it back up once the reception starts again. So it's all about the ebb and flow. When your ceremony is off-site and you have you know, your ceremony someplace else and then everybody has to eventually drive over to the reception space, the cocktail hour allows for arrivals to happen. It allows for everybody not to have to get there all at the exact same time. It allows for people to kind of ease into the night and again, start riding that ebb and flow of the event. So when you're thinking, okay, do we have to have a cocktail hour? What does that look like if we don't have a cocktail hour? This is why. If... Your thinking is coming from a place of budget, perhaps, to say, okay, I don't know if we want to do all this. You can still have a cocktail hour to either go lighter on the apps. Maybe that's when you just have a signature cocktail or a limited bar offering so that you can still ease into the night. But the function of the cocktail hour is, I think, important to the flow of the event for the same way as you wouldn't go to a birthday party and dive right into the activity and cutting the cake and doing all the things, right? Like there's like a warming up period. Yep. I think cocktail hours are actually underestimated for just their importance and for the joy aspect of it, because there's really zero expectation during the cocktail hour. It's one of the 
only times when one, you really don't have anything to do, right? You can walk around, you can spend the time elsewhere, like just by yourself in like a suite, just the two of you or with your wedding party, but there's no formalities. There's no stuff you have to do. There's a lot more probably behind this question, but I would say, look at it from this perspective of, you know, your guests just get to like, have a good time. They don't need to worry about doing anything. You don't need to worry about doing anything. And it's a great opportunity to connect with your people on kind of a deeper level than when Pitbull's timber is blowing up in the background. You're trying to have a heart to heart with your friend who you haven't seen in 10 years. Oh, that's a really great point too. Yeah, of course. These are people that are coming together that maybe, especially right now, haven't seen each other in some time. That is a really good point. It's that time to kind of talk and catch up and give hugs and do so. Yeah, without... I was thinking Uptown Funk, but yeah. That, <laughs> that felt very reminiscent of like the second episode. You're like, that's a really great point, Dan. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> no, but it was a really great point. I don't say that anymore, but I don't think it's a good point. You don't, but literally after everything I said, that was what you said in like maybe the first couple of episodes. That was a really great point, Dan. I'm so glad you said that. And what I think is, ah, uh, so how far we've come. Moving on. Brooke says... Do you need a table menu for a buffet dinner? Nope. Nope. But I want to add this one thing in here. I know you've got something to say too, but as a person who does have tricky food, not allergies, but I've got things that I like to eat, like I'm vegetarian, but I will eat fish on occasion. So I'm technically pescatarian, but I like to call it vegetarian, which is more fun to say. So sometimes there'll be a buffet dinner out there and there won't be like little table cards or something to just tell me what's in the food that's in front of me. So if you are having a buffet dinner, please have those little signs out as to what the actual food is. Yeah, but I think it's better served at the actual buffet table versus each individual guest table. You can do it if you want. It's a nice little touch, but- Family style? Family style what? Isn't that what family style is? Like where like they bring a dish of mashed potatoes and everybody passes it around at the table. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's what family style dinner is. So I was specifically saying, do you need a table menu? You don't need a menu on the guest table. You want the menu sitting on the buffet table. I totally misread that. I was like, you don't need a menu on each table. That's crazy. <laughs> Just put one on the buffet table. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is like the micro wedding thing where I thought everything was tiny forks. <laughs> I'm glad we moved past that and you're so much more educated now. So much more educated now. <laughs> no, what Dan said is totally right. If anybody has any type of dietary restrictions, those little things make a big difference. Though, ask your caterer first. They might provide something for you automatically because it saves them a little bit of time in answering that question. But if it's served by humans from the catering team, usually they're also there and available to answer those questions if you need to. Cool. All right. Next question comes from Catherine who asked, when do you give bridesmaids their gifts and do you give them multiple? So this could actually go for both, right? Like any of the wedding party. Exactly. Yeah. Typically groomsmen also or groom and groomsmen give gifts and everybody gives gifts. Well, why don't you answer the first part and I'll answer the second part. Yeah, so my preference of when you should be giving your wedding party their gifts is at the rehearsal dinner. It creates a really great reason for everybody to come together. Everybody's there. It's one less thing that you have to think about on the wedding day. And I don't mean that from a place of bad. It's just it's a very action-packed day already. And giving those gifts in advance kind of says thank you so much and is a great way to kind of kick off the weekend of festivities. Yeah, as for how many things you give them, I've seen little baskets put together from the bride who gives them to her special people. And it's a little box of like all these little things that she's put together that none of them are this like standout, fancy, expensive gift, but they're all like little fun things that they can use past the wedding and on the wedding day. But I've also seen 
some grooms give fancy watches or shoes to all their groomsmen, that each gift was a little bit more higher dollar value. I don't think there's a right or wrong. It's just kind of whatever feels right for you. Yeah. I feel like this is one of those things that the wedding industry monsters kind of got a hold of and twisted and contorted a little bit because there's a lot of talk about wedding party gifts, but not why we do wedding party gifts. Like ultimately you're asking these wonderful people in your lives to stand there with you and to be part of this journey on a really intimate level, to get ready with you probably, to do the festivities beforehand with you. And it's often a big commitment, not just time-wise, but financial too. And what you're doing in that moment by offering them a gift, it's truly a token of your thanks. Think about the people that you're gifting it to and what would they appreciate? It could be a tangible thing. It could be an experience thing. I don't think it's about quantity as to how many you're giving them. I think it's just a, I really appreciate you and so thankful that you came along for this journey with me. And I think if you lead from that place, you'll be able to come to a better solution. Though I'm not a good gift giver because to me, I overthink it to the point that I go, I'm just giving them money. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Actually, some of the best gifts that we have ever received were from you and Michael. For a very long time, we had those little square magnets that you guys just printed out. I think pictures from maybe our Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And we had them lined up across the front of our refrigerator. And Michael has gifted me several things like a belt and a wallet. And I don't know, it's the thought that counts. It's so cheesy to say that. I get it. But like, I don't know, you guys are really good gift givers. And I think it doesn't really need to be this extravagant thing. I think you hit the nail on the head that it is about just saying thank you because for whatever reason you feel like that, it's a huge financial commitment to be in a wedding. It's these people mean a lot to you and you're so thankful that they're going to be standing there supporting you, blah, blah, blah. It could be a million different things, but yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head that it's about showing gratitude. Yeah. And please, a word of caution is if it's something that you're making them wear that day, then it kind of strays a little bit away from the gift territory (laughs) and more into a mandatory accessory. So keep that in mind. Obviously, you can buy them things to wear or use that day. With the exception of hair and makeup, I think if you're paying for their hair and makeup, I think that is actually a lovely gift. But everything else, like if you're making them wear a certain necklace or a certain pair of earrings, then to me, that's technically not a gift. Mm, gotcha. Okay. Next one. This is a good one. Pups. You know all about pups. Talk about the pups and ceremonies. Yeah. So Brittany asked, what are the logistics of including pups in ceremonies? We want to include our three. Whoa. But seems tricky. Yep. (laughs) Brittany, you're right. It is tricky. (laughs) One is tricky. (laughs) (laughs) One is tricky. That is true. I mean, it very much depends on the dogs, but First and foremost, you need to get permission from the venue. This is not a situation that is ask for forgiveness as opposed to permission because venues will shut that down very quickly if pups are not allowed on site for whatever reason it is. Um, Overall, if they say, yes, this is allowed and this is the time frame of which they're allowed to be there, please, please, oh, please hire someone who's going to bring them there and take them away after. So whether you just want them there for the ceremony and maybe like some photos or just some photos, whatever it is, you want a person that is 100% dedicated to staying with them 
through that entire time that's not involved in anything else that's going to have on jeans or yoga pants or whatever it is that they'll be able to get down with the dogs and, you know, like whatever it is that those pups need. And that when they leave, maybe that person could also then stay with them for that night to make sure they get fed and get water and get all the things that they need. But make sure to bring all their things, bring the leashes, bring the waters. Yes, they're not just a photo op, so you want to keep that in mind. And dogs don't necessarily do well in those situations because it's so far from their normal routine. Yeah, puppies are like little tiny children. They can be very <laughs> temperamental. Loud noises are not great with doggos. Every year in 4th of July, if you look at Facebook or anything or look at any of the like things that Humane Society and like that kind of stuff they put out, it's like dogs do not like thunderstorms. They don't like fireworks. They don't like loud music. So make sure that once loud music starts, they're out of there. They're not around for the big wedding reception, but just make them comfortable, right? You want to have water bowls and leashes and maybe a couple of toys to keep them cool and plenty of snacks. Literally, it's like a child. <laughs> So we have two dogs. One is very chill. She's older and cool and independent. She doesn't care. But our little one is a stage five clinger and is very scared of thunderstorms and fireworks. So I actually bought him a thunder shirt this year for 4th of July. What's thunder shirt? A thunder shirt. It's like this very stretchy, tight shirt that you can like put around him. So he feels maybe a little bit more secure. I don't know if it worked or if I just really wanted it to work, but he seemed a little bit better. This is not an ad for a thunder shirt, but I also bought him like anxiety treats to see if it would help chill him out a little bit. Poor guy. Anyway, we actually did a little mini episode back when we were doing in season four, Dear Dan's episodes. It's season four back in 2018 of how do we include our dogs in our wedding day? I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's a good episode. We kind of get into the nitty gritty of it a little bit more. So if you're considering it, I recommend that. God. These are such good questions. I'm just looking at the rest of them too. Um, this next one is a good one. Lauren says, how slash when do we get a marriage license for traditional and non-traditional ceremonies? There's a lot to unpack in this one. So Danielle, take it away. <laughs> so this varies a lot based off of where you're getting married. So I'm not going to give you any specific advice here. The type of ceremony, at least here in Pennsylvania, typically matters less whether you're doing traditional or non-traditional, though that's a whole other rabbit hole that I can go down that I'll kind of avoid right now. But it varies from county to county, state to state, and all of that. So with a good example is here in Pennsylvania, you can get a marriage license anywhere between three and 60 days out from your wedding. In Vegas, you can get it the same day, which is why they're known for those like elopements and people just doing all these things and perhaps getting them annulled <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> That's why it exists is because Vegas, you can get a marriage license much quicker. Here in Pennsylvania, you get the license, you have to wait at least three days before you can use that marriage license. And so the best way to find out how that even works is just contact your local courthouse within the state and ideally the county you're getting married in. Here in Pennsylvania, it's any county as long as it's within the state of Pennsylvania. It doesn't matter which county you're getting married in versus which you get your license from. But most county courthouse websites now have this information online because it just gets asked so frequently. So I think a relatively simple Google search of like whatever county marriage license should be able to steer you in the right direction. But if that doesn't answer all your questions, give them a call and they can talk you through it or ask your officiant if there's someone who regularly performs those things, they could probably give you some pointers and some tips as well. Excellent work, Danielle. <laughs> Do you have anything to add to that, Dan? No. Did you know that like all off the top of your head or did you research it? 
I answer this question many times a year, so I know this question very well. Of course you did. <laughs> I think if I don't know this question, I'm probably not doing my job. That's right. The next question, man, another good logistics one. Actually, when I was reading this one, as I was kind of prepping for this, I might have a slightly different take on it. So I'll read it and then you can go through things. So Nicole asks, how to organize wedding emails from regular emails, make a new wedding email account or something else. Thoughts, Danielle? Weddings produce a lot of emails. Yes, they do. And questionnaires. And questionnaires and forms. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of communication that is happening. And consistent communication is wildly important as you kind of go through this. So I think everybody has an option to start a wedding only email. I've also seen people start an email that is their future name if they're going to be changing their name at any point after the ceremony happens. So there is an option for it, but I think the biggest thing is it needs to be something that you check regularly, just as regularly as all the other things or with some sort of consistency throughout the wedding planning process because the last thing you want is to kind of forget about it and then you're missing emails and things are falling through the cracks. So with that said though, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Dan. I go back and forth on this. Like I really like the all-in-one wedding email to know that like I'm emailing the wedding email, but then after the wedding, maybe six months a year when I'm trying to start doing the albums and things like that, are they checking it the same as they were prior? That's kind of level one. Level two is one person tends to check that email more than everybody else or more than the other person. And if we're trying to keep everybody in the loop, if you send an email to both people, are they both more likely to check it versus here's this one email inbox that like one person tends to have the rule over and then they're left to relay that information to another person. So it's whatever works for you as a couple, but I like being able to email one person or the other, or both of them together. So like sometimes I scheme with grooms and sometimes I scheme with brides about different things and I'll email them individual questions about the other person or whatever. So sometimes it's good to have both of those, but I might be different in that sense. <laughs> no, I think that's very fair. I think for me, a lot of times when I get the email that's from the joint email account and there's not a clear sign off as to who wrote it, sometimes after a while, I can start to tell who's writing rich, who's writing which email, tongue twister, but sometimes I don't know. So I have to reply back with like, hi, friends. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you too. <laughs> hey, you. <laughs> uh, which is fine, right? That doesn't matter. So like in the situation with Mike and I, I am a chronic email checker. If you've ever emailed me, you know I get back to you within roughly 3.2 minutes. I only semi-joke, but Mike is quite the opposite end of the spectrum. And like every few weeks, he's like, I should check my email. So I think in the case of us, if we were to do it, I don't know if it would make more sense that we would have a joint email that I would manage so that then he could, when he wanted to, log in and see and be looped in on all that conversation. Or would it be more overwhelming for him if we were just both copied? Because I like having two people copied when it makes sense on the email. Like, would it make sense or would that just like overwhelm him that it's too many things in his email inbox? So I don't know. I could see it going either way, but that's definitely something that you should talk with your partner so that you're on the same page. Because ultimately, even if one person is doing most of the planning, like there's a primary planning partner, that's okay. I think there's still going to be times where you're both going to want to be a little bit looped in to some degree. So Okay, moving on. Ooh, booze. I like booze. Kenna says pros and cons of a bartender and bringing your own alcohol versus hiring a catering service. Mm. Dan, what are your thoughts? 
<laughs> well, <laughs> this is a really great question. I am a fan of hiring a catering service. <laughs> and the reason why I'm a fan of hiring a catering service, and since you asked me, I'm going to answer as if this were for me. I do not want to have to go out and try to transport a whole bunch of heavy bottles for 200 people to an event. I don't care how much cheap it is to go to Delaware and drive across state lines and bring it back and save a whole bunch of money. And illegal. And totally illegal. Exactly. Don't do that. Yes, exactly. It's not worth it for me I would rather pay the person who's the professional to do their thing and to know what they need and to have done the thing before. Do you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. And possibly something that you're not fully aware of because your role doesn't often go into this is that most caterers cannot provide the alcohol. (laughs) So what I think this question is kind of digging into is, should you hire kind of your own bartender and bring your own alcohol or hiring a catering service that takes care of most of it? At least that's how I interpreted it. Here in Pennsylvania, the caterer is not always able to provide the alcohol unless they have an establishment which allows them to carry a liquor license. Now, if you have the option, and I guess before I go any further, this really varies by location and the laws and rules within your area, but providing your own alcohol often saves you money. But as Dan said, it is a major hassle. You need to overbuy so you do not run out. Like you don't want to like get to the end of the night and be like, and that's the last drop of wine. You need to have extra to make sure that everything is really covered. So you have to overbuy. It's definitely a pain to lug there and take any extra home that when it's all over. There are some companies, which I love working with, that you can order from. They deliver. They return to pick any extras at the end of the night that weren't touched, and then they issue a refund. If you have that option in your area, I cannot tell you how incredible it is because you get the savings of purchasing the alcohol yourself so there isn't any upcharges on it, but you do not have to deal with most of this hassle and even the overages get returned to you. With that said... There's just a lot of play. There's also like, how much do you buy? I actually have in my shop at DPNAC, which I haven't talked about in a while, but in my shop at DPNAC, I have an alcohol calculator. So if you are doing your planning and you need to purchase alcohol, there's an alcohol calculator in my shop at DPNAC. I will put a link to it in the show notes. It's very affordable, super great to use. You can play with it all you want. But moving on from that, when you build your own bar, it goes beyond the bartenders and the alcohol. So if your caterer is not providing this service and you're bringing in a bartender, you also have to provide things usually like mixers, non-alcoholic beverages like soda and water, garnishes like fruits and lemons and limes, ice, which is a major pain because it can't get there too early, can't get there too late. You have to provide things like tubs and coolers and cutting boards and knives and bottle openers and towels and pitchers. We just did a wedding like this a few weeks ago, so it is fresh in the brain, but it's a lot and that's more things that you need to lug. And oftentimes by the time you're done purchasing and gathering and acquiring all these pieces, parts for the day, having the catering service who just automatically takes care of that for you is most often, if not the more economical way to go, certainly the more hassle-free way to go. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know that we specifically talked about this in this episode. We actually did a whole episode about booze. And I'm not sure that listening to the episode will directly answer this question. But if you have more questions about this, especially the DIY aspect of it, um, it was season three, episode 31. And it's just called Let's Talk About Booze. And it is literally everything that you could possibly imagine about booze. You actually did, did you do the alcohol calculator specifically for that episode? Or did you already have that? So I have always had an alcohol calculator. In that episode, I specifically mentioned that I would happily make one for every single person because at the time I didn't have a template that was like cute enough to share. But 
now I have one that I can share and they can play with all they want. So instead of getting a PDF that just tells them what to get, they get a template that they can play around with and say, okay, what does it look like if we have 100 guests? What does it look like if we have 200 guests? I love that little template. It's a bestseller in my shop, which is really cool. Yeah. So there were a lot of questions that came in in our question box about timelines. My friends... (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason that we were never able to answer any of those questions in the Wedding Tip Wednesday series. It is a really tough thing to answer because things vary so much by area. Here in Pennsylvania, it is very common that after dinner, we cut the cake. On the West Coast, I'm pretty sure is where it is. It is very common that you do not even start dinner until the cake is cut. So just that alone, there's so many different variables that go into it. But for those that did ask, first, I highly recommend working with a planner, wedding manager that's going to help you really properly put everything together so you don't have to worry about all the things that you don't know you don't know. That said, Dan and I have some tips probably that we could share to at least get you started. And I'll cover some of the high level stuff, Dan, and then you can maybe come in with some of the photography stuff. And this isn't on the outline. So I think Dan just had a small heart attack that I was going to go down this rabbit hole, but I want to because I think it's helpful. So when you're building a timeline, start with your high level stuff. What time is the ceremony taking place? What time is cocktail hour taking place? What time is the reception taking place? Oftentimes the venue is going to dictate that. So then you need to build out around that part. If you're not sure, look at sunset for that day and adjust from there. That's it? That's your high-level stuff? That's all you're going to share right now? That's my high-level stuff. The next thing that goes into building a timeline, when I build a timeline, comes down to photos, whether or not they're doing first looks or not. So please share. Yeah, you're right. Because the next thing would be, are you doing a first look or not? I'm pro first look if it means you get to spend more time with your people later in the night. So I was just talking with a couple last night who was talking about hiring me. And they were like, oh, we're not sure we're going to do a first look or not. But they're getting married in November in Pennsylvania. And their ceremony starts at like four. So like, we want to get some pictures outdoors, but we're worried it's going to be dark. And I was like, listen, you can do whatever you want, right? Like I'm a wedding photographer and we did not have a first look, but that meant we needed to have a ceremony earlier in the day. And I said, if you want to have more time with your guests, do a first look earlier in the day. You get your couple portraits done. You get a private meeting for the two of you. You get your wedding party pictures done and your family pictures done. And then once the ceremony starts, You literally have nothing else for the rest of the night photo-wise, unless you do some sunset pictures or something. You literally have nothing else to do photo-wise, and you can just spend all your time with your guests enjoying that time. And I love that. If your wedding has plenty of time between the ceremony and reception, don't do a first look. Do your ceremony and then do pictures in between. Give your guests some things to do or places that they might like to check out if they've got two or three hours between the ceremony and reception before they get to cocktail hour. And that's where I would start next. So once you decide whether or not you're having a first look, that's when you start to build out the rest of your day. So most timelines start with the big picture stuff. Okay, so here's our ceremony, here's our cocktail hour, here's our reception. Okay, now we know whether or not we're doing first looks. So that means we're either taking our photos, uh, the bulk of our photos before or after our ceremony. So plug that into there. Talk with your photographer about how much time they need for that. Next, you have to think about, okay, so if we're starting photos there, where and how are we getting ready? That's the next piece of the puzzle. And that's how you keep kind of building all these pieces in. And then as you build out from these high level stuff, then you can start getting a little bit more granular as you go. Okay, we know our reception's taking place from 7 to 11 p.m., but when do our formalities happen? When does dinner happen? That's where you talk with your DJ or your band and your caterer or your venue to determine, okay, how does everybody work together? And this is where, as I share and go into all this stuff, it usually becomes clear that 
when you have a planner, coordinator, wedding manager on your team, they take care of a lot of that stuff for you. So you don't really have to think about it, which is why they're so worth their weight in gold. But I wanted to kind of at least give a little bit of information on that because so many questions came in, flat out almost demanding sometimes that we build their timeline. And I just wanted to let you all know that we heard you. It is just a very difficult question to answer, but that's the best I can point you in this point. Uh, And the last thing that I will add in there is something that we have become more and more adamant about over the years, um, and that's this wedding day timeout. It's this 10, 15 minutes. I say must find a time during the wedding day, after the ceremony, if you're not having a first look, before the ceremony, if you are doing a first look, where you get to just be away from everybody else and focus on the fact that It's your wedding day and you're here because we never have days that are scheduled to the minute ever. And on a day that is scheduled to the minute, it can feel very much like you are pushed to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, it's over and the wedding day is gone. So you like take this deep breath, this pause away from everybody else. When you do that, it's up to you. It can be as simple as stepping off to the side at the reception and looking at everybody dancing and just putting your arms around each other and kind of being like a third observer for a second. But no matter what you do, I highly, highly, without a doubt, recommend finding that 10, 15 minutes to just soak it in. Yeah. And like in a very intentional sort of way too. I love that. Great advice, Dan. Everybody, thank you so much for submitting all of these questions. We certainly got a whole lot more. We did our best to answer as many as we could in the Wedding Tip Wednesday series. And we always love doing these episodes as well. And as we get ready to wrap up this episode, we just wanted to thank you one last time for all of your support. We are so thankful that we were able to put out another season. Thanks to you all. Obviously in a very difficult and trying time for everyone, but we are always there with you. We are big fans of you just as you are of us. Yeah, the future is uncertain right now as to what we're going to do and where we're going to go and stuff. But know that the support that we've gotten and the feels that we've gotten back from so many people because of just us putting this podcast out there and how many people it's helped and how many, oh my gosh, you can't believe how amazing our wedding was because you guys made it so great. How many of those messages that we've gotten really just I don't know, warm our hearts a little bit, but it's definitely a ridiculous time right now trying to get back to normal. So we wish you guys the best and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Put A Ring On It podcast. Before we wrap up this episode, we just want to send some love and gratitude and hugs to all of our patrons in the Ringer Club. We would not be here without you. Thank you so much. You are the best. Absolutely. And let's be real. Things are way easier when you have a solid support system who is going through it right alongside you. So please join the Ringer Club community today at patreon.com slash P-A-R-O-I. Just click the link in our show notes. The Ringer Club is the best way to support the show and receive direct access to Danielle and I. Plus, you have an entire community of Ringers helping too on Facebook. Membership is just eight bucks a month and we have a limited number of spots available at a lower monthly rate where you get all the same benefits. Again, that's patreon.com slash P-A-R-O-I. Another way you can support the show is to rate, review, and subscribe in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. And don't forget to connect with us on Instagram where you can catch some more tips, see Dan's amazing photos, and watch some of our behind the scenes shenanigans. Follow us at Put A Ring On It Podcast. Okay, Ringers, remember, we're here to help you. But no matter whose advice you follow or what decisions you make, know that your wedding is going to be amazing. Because you rock. Until next time, Ringers. Do you want to slip in your uh, dad joke here? 
Yeah, I got one. You got you got a dad joke? Yeah, I got one. Okay, ready? I'm ready. Why did the can crusher quit his job? Why? Because it was so depressing. <laughs> Pretty good one, right? That was a good one. You like that? <laughs> I sometimes I fake laughs and that was a real laugh. <laughs> that was a real laugh. That was a real laugh. Solid. Crushed it. See what you did there.